Hello, MRCC. Welcome to Online Church today. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Especially during this time of quarantine, we as your church, we just want to say thank you. And we are so grateful for all the moms that God has placed in our lives. Absolutely. We love you, moms. And the other part of it is I can't tell you how grateful I am uh, that you're letting and, and allowing and bringing your kids to be a part of our kids' church online. It's been great. We've even had some kids send in some messages and videos of themselves. It blesses us so much to see their faces and to know that they're engaging with us too. Well, hey, if you're new with us this morning, uh, would you go ahead and grab your smartphone and just text the word MRCC to the number 94000. And we just want to say hi and send you a quick message. And we're also planning to do some walks on Sunday afternoons. Uh, this is just a way for us to come together, uh, social distance on a path, uh, kind of stay in tune with what's going on right now, but also be able to see each other face to face in a, in a way uh, that we're allowed to. So from 1230 to 130, every Sunday during this time, you'll see us as a leadership team, and we hope to see you there too, just on the Enum Club Buckley Trail. Join us. And if you feel led to give at this time, you can do so from our website, from the church app, or you can visit us during our office hours and drop off a payment. And we're excited to just be here with you. Thanks for being a part. Thanks for taking the time to join us online. And we're going to worship together. So if you feel comfortable, stand up on your feet because we're going to worship our awesome God together. Amen. Amen.
Yes, we sing because you're worthy. Yes, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Yes, you're worthy. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Oh, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered
God, we worship you. We thank you for who you are. You are so worthy of this praise. Lord, we pour out love to you. We love you. We worship you, your church. Amen. Church, it is awesome to worship with you. Well, hey, worship is not done today. You know, us as a worship team, we have so missed being able to gather and worship with you. We actually decided to prepare something special for you. You may have heard about this song that's been released on the internet lately, and it's called The Blessing. And what this song is, it's by Elevation Worship, and it serves as a prayer with lyrics taken straight from Scripture. And it reminds us that our God is with us, and He is for us, no matter the time, the day, or the place. And so we prepared something special, collaborating in the safety of our individual homes during quarantine. And we just ask that you and your families would receive this song as a blessing from the Lord.
Well, good morning, church. Good evening, good afternoon, whenever we're connecting here in this moment. Uh, wasn't that fantastic? You know, when Pastor Weston first shared that video with me earlier in the week, boy, I just got goosebumps. It is so full of God's anointing. Huge thanks, worship team, for all the time and the effort that you guys put into that. What a blessing. And uh, we're going to have that up on the church website, uh, available on the app so that you can watch it again if you want to. Uh, I know I'm planning to. Uh, thanks, worship team, for that. And, and happy Mother's Day. Uh, I hope that you've gone out of your way to celebrate your mom, to thank her for all that she's done for you, all that she's been for you. Uh, ladies, God uses you in a very special way in our lives, and, and we can't possibly say thank you enough. Uh, but this morning, fr from that place of appreciation, we, we say Happy Mother's Day, and we hope that you're getting blessed and, and uh, getting uh, your way in every way today. Uh, we sure appreciate you. Thank you for being who you are. Happy Mother's Day. And by the way, in this gorgeous weather today, uh, we are starting a new uh, tradition during this lockdown, during this stay-at-home season. Uh, we're starting a new tradition today as a church, and that is uh, that after third service, between 12.30 and 1.30 on Sunday, after third service, we're, we're inviting you to come down to the Enumclaw Trail, the trail right there along 410, and, and just take a walk. Uh, there's room for social distancing there. We're allowed to do that. We're operating within the, the boundaries that have been set for us. But you just take a walk up and down that trail. Wave, say hi, smile. Uh, if, if you're like me, there is a deep hunger for fellowship in your heart. And uh, we've been looking for ways to, to help that happen. And, and this is one of those ways. So every Sunday between 1230 and 1.30 until this is over, we're going to invite you to just come down and take a walk on the trail. See your brothers and sisters. See your fellow believers. Encourage them. Uh, be encouraged by them. You're invited to come out and, and, and join us uh, this afternoon, uh, Sunday afternoon, 1230 to 1.30. And this morning, church, I want to invite us to, to kind of start to get beyond this moment. You know, these last number of weeks, we have focused on overcoming this experience that we're all sharing today and understanding how God is at work in it. And that's important and that's real. But there comes a point where we remember that, that this is temporary, this is passing, that our whole reality is not about this time and this season. And, and God would invite us as part of our overcoming to get back to focusing on the bigger picture, to get back to understanding that, that the truth of following Jesus is bigger than this moment. And we're going to begin to do that this morning. I, I want to invite you to open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1, the beginning of the, the epistle to the Hebrews. And we're going to journey together through this letter. Uh, not, not every single verse by verse, but in the, the big theme, the big ideas in Hebrews over this next season. So grab your Bible, open it to Hebrews chapter 1. And, and as you're doing that... Um, let me point something out to you, which I'm sure you've noticed. Isn't it funny to listen to people who have never have ki had kids before talk about parenting? <laughs> it's, isn't it funny to listen to young couples who are about to have kids talk about parenting? Those of us who've already made that journey, who've already had that experience, you know, we chuckle. 
We chuckle because we remember our own naivete, our own ignorance about the reality of raising kids. We chuckle because there's a sweetness in their innocence. And we chuckle because we know that they're in for a bunch of big surprises. Everybody feels that they will be better at parenting than their parents were, better than their friends or neighbors. And we have these great aspirations of all these Hollywood moments and handling everything with dignity and grace. And, and then reality sets in and we discover that uh, raising kids is maybe the toughest, most demanding thing that we will ever do on earth. The great German general Helmut von Moltke famously said, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And maybe that is most true about parenting, which if you've had a teenager, you know, is about as close to, to real war as most civilians will experience. When the reality of parenting begins to come home, we have to throw out a lot of our old ideas and, and set aside our fantasies and, and begin to grapple with the reality of the child or children that are standing in front of us. And sometimes when we begin to feel the need to do that, uh, it almost feels like this. Yeah, it feels like we're crashing and burning. It feels like uh, the Hindenburg going down. And we, we realize that, that we have a lot to learn. And then we begin to discover that as they get older, that need to learning, need to learn gets greater and greater because our kids, we discover, are human beings every bit as complex and deep and vulnerable and smart as we are. And we begin to grasp that as they grow, our understanding has to keep getting bigger if we're going to keep up with them. I don't know if you're like me, but uh, when I look back now at uh, the experience of being a parent, I realize that most of the time I was parenting my son about six months to a year behind where he really was in life because he was always further ahead than I thought. As you grow, your understanding has to keep getting bigger. And when your kids become adults, it still has to keep getting bigger. As grandparents, we know that we're wiser about parenting than we were as parents. Just like after learning to be married for a long time, we're much better at that too. But here's the thing. In that journey, we've got to be willing to keep giving up our old lesser ideas and moving into the new ones that we are learning. If we don't, we won't be good parents. If we don't accept that journey of learning, then we will do a poor job of parenting. We begin to understand that and we begin to appreciate it. It's something like that that the letter to the Hebrews is all about. You see, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to a, to a Jewish church that was struggling with older and lesser ideas about God. And it's not that those older ideas weren't true. It's that the newer ones in Christ were more true. And the writer of Hebrews is seeking to help them recognize that and grow up into that reality. His message is that Jesus transforms what we thought we knew about God. 
kind of like that experience of, of having kids. As they grow up, our understanding is transformed. And the writer of Hebrews wants us uh, to understand that our ideas of who God is need to be updated as we grow with him. Turn to chapter 1, verses 1 and following, and let's spend a little time together hearing uh, God's eternal word remind us that there's a, a much bigger reality beyond this season we're in. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 says this. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Now, right from the outset, the writer of Hebrews is letting us know that we are meant to update our ideas of who God is. Everybody has ideas of who God is. The only question is where we got them and whether they're accurate. The writer of Hebrews is talking about that. Jesus' favorite saying was, I tell you the truth. And, and the writer of Hebrews wants us to enter into that reality. Just like the Jews who were the original audience for this letter, you and I have grown up with a bunch of ideas about God we picked up in various places. Some are true, some aren't. Jesus is the test between them. Maybe you grew up thinking that, that God welcomes all hard workers into heaven. That's, that's the great American myth. It's not true. We enter into eternal life by grace through faith, not by hard work. Or maybe you thought that, that God doesn't really care about the particulars of right and wrong as long as you're sincere. I had a man say to me once, God doesn't really care about my cussing, <laughs> about my obscene language. Well, the truth is that he does. Or maybe you heard that love is God instead of what the Bible says, which is that God is love. Two very different things. Or maybe you grew up thinking that all religions are essentially the same. I could go on and on. Jesus comes to tell us and reveal to us the truth about who God is. We've all got religious ideas we picked up as we grew up, but Jesus is the test of those ideas. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants us to grasp. And you can see that. Notice the contrast he draws. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But now, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. To put this another way, friends, the past is true, but it's less true than the future. Sometimes we get that backwards. That's why Jesus, when he talked about uh, the parable of the, the wineskins, he said there are those who just struggle to recognize that the past, while true, is less true than where God is taking us next. It's the foundation for our growing. And he says, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. When he says that, he is referencing the whole shared Old Testament history of Israel, which gives us a picture of God that is true, but not as true as the fullness that is in this man, Jesus. Uh, towards the end of his ministry, one of his disciples, Philip, came and asked the Lord. He said, just show us the Father, Lord. That's what we want to see. And Jesus' response in John chapter 14 was crystal clear. He said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after all this time, anyone who has seen me 
has seen the Father. Church, every human being wonders about God, about who he is, about who he isn't. And the fundamental message of our Christian faith is that Jesus tells us the truth about who he is. Jesus is the truth about who he is. You know, to put this another way, imagine that you had a pen pal. And you corresponded with them for a year. You texted, you wrote emails, uh, maybe you connected past pictures back and forth on social media, maybe you even talked on the phone. You got to know them over the course of a year. Uh, in that experience, you would come to know them to a degree. But imagine if at the end of that year, that pen pal moved in next door to you or, or maybe even took a room in your house very quickly your understanding of them would increase exponentially. The writer of Hebrews is saying that's what's happened in Christ. God has come to earth and revealed himself. In the wonderful words of Max Lucado, God has come near. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to grasp that. And he wants us to understand that when we meet Jesus, we have to let our old ideas of who God is go because he is the best definition. I wonder if you've done that. I invite you to ask yourself, have I believed in this man Jesus as who he says he is? God in human flesh? When we do, it transforms the way we listen to him. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is concerned about. This was hard for his audience in Hebrews, that Jewish audience, because they were familiar and comfortable with many lesser ideas of who God is. But they had forgotten that the Old Testament was always pointing to Jesus and that all that they had learned there was meant to be fulfilled and realized in the Messiah, in Christ. And if they had paid as much attention as they pretended to pay to the scripture, they would have known that. In fact, one of the warmest uh, uh, you know, uh, experiences that I've had in the New Testament is, is, is seeing those people that did get it, that immediately recognized Jesus. There's a wonderful, one of my favorite characters in the New Testament, a guy named Apollos. And, and he never encountered Jesus personally, but when some other people told him what Jesus said and did, even though all he had ever known was the Old Testament, he immediately said, well, that's the Messiah became a Christian and began to lead and teach. The writer of Hebrews has something like that in mind for us. He wants us to upgrade our ideas of who God is. He wants you to upgrade your ideas of who he is. You know, sometimes when we're driving, my wife will grab me or cry out to stop because I wasn't paying as much attention as I should have been. I, I, uh, I'm just always thinking about things and sometimes to the detriment of my driving. When that happens, I always have a choice. I can either pretend I was paying attention, which I usually do, or admit that I wasn't. It's the same with you and me. When Jesus challenges what we thought we knew about God, we can either admit it and listen to him and have our thinking change, or we can pretend and miss the point. To drive this home, the Bible goes on to say, look at verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. That's what we call in theological circles a categorical statement of his deity. And the fact that Jesus is God become a man is a bedrock doctrine of the Christian faith, right alongside 
his sanctifying and saving work on the cross. To be a Christian is not to say Jesus is a good idea or a great man or the best teacher, but to confess him as God in human flesh. That's what doubting Thomas realized at the resurrection. And so the Bible tells us in John chapter 20 that he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, my Lord and my God. Though he had known him for three years as a prophet and a teacher, now he knew him for who he really is, God in human flesh, God made man. Now in moments like that church, when we grasp that, we are transformed because then Jesus begins to assume a position of authority in our lives that is the highest authority in our lives. And that changes us. That transforms us. There's a great little story that I love about uh, beginning to appreciate authority. And I'm, my nerd is going to show a little bit here. But uh, many of you know that I'm an amateur historian. And, and one of the characters that I appreciate is, is a former President Eisenhower, who was also the Supreme Commander of Allied Forces during World War II. And um, he worked with a guy, a famous guy by the name of Montgomery, uh, a British field marshal who was his number two. And, and Monty often wanted his own way. He was often very argumentative. He was often trying to manipulate and push Eisenhower around. And there came a moment one day when Monty got a little too big for his britches. He began to, to, to rebuke Eisenhower, to tell him how it was going to be, to tell him what he was going to do. And Eisenhower sat there quietly and listened. And at the end, he looked him in the eye and said, Monty, you can't talk to me like that. I'm your boss. God wants us to come to the place where we relate to Jesus like that. Where we understand that he is the ultimate authority in our lives. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to grasp that. You know, the, God, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus turned to his disciples one day and said, Who do you say that I am? And what he was seeking to discern was, had they come to the point where they realized that he was their maker, their creator, their judge, ultimately, in the end, and their savior. Who do you say that I am? He asked them. Peter gave a beautiful, wonderful answer. And in that moment, Jesus said, all right, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. Peter, on, on the rock of your confession, I'm going to build my church. God is seeking to bring you and me to that same point where we say, Lord, you are my authority. You are the revelation of God in my life. I'm going to upgrade my thinking to match your truth. Now, there's a reason why this question is so important. You know, in the times that we live in, friends, lots of people want to know why some religious people do crazy things. Fly airplanes into buildings, behead one another, be indifferent to suffering so they can let others work out their karma. Or, or simply why some people think it's okay to hate in the name of God. And the reality is it's because their ideas about him have not been upgraded to conform with the truth of who Jesus is. They have poorer, lesser ideas of who God is. And so they come to conclusions that Jesus would never affirm or condone. You see, church, let me help you understand something about yourself, about all of us. And that is that the most powerful force in your life is whatever you believe to be true about God. Whatever you know about him or think you know about him, 
functions in your life at a deep level, steering and coloring everything you say and do and the choices that you make. It is the fundamental influence in your life. And that's why it's so important that you and I grasp that God is revealed in Jesus. That we get our ideas of who He is from Him. The secular world thinks that religion is the problem, but the truth is it's only bad religion that's the problem. It's only un-Jesus religion that steers us astray. I have a word I use for this. I call it God-sick, and it's when, it's when we don't believe in Jesus. We believe in God, but we don't believe in Jesus. The Lord himself put it this way in John chapter 3. He said, this is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but men love darkness. They refuse to accept the truth of who he is. It has all sorts of terrible effects, this God-sickness. In the name of a not-Jesus God, people abort unborn children. They abandon their marriages and families. They give in to, to horrible, self-destructive sins. They hate their enemies instead of loving them. They relegate the poor and the sick and the refugee to an afterthought in their lives. Why? Because their ideas about God haven't been shaped by Jesus. That's what the writer of Hebrews is at pains for us to grasp. And you know what else we, we do when we don't believe that Jesus is God is we turn pastors and leaders into celebrities and we exalt them because they tell us what we think we already know instead of challenging us to live up to the real Jesus. This is why the Bible warns in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, with the truth of God that's in Christ. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers to say what their ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. You see, church, that's what the writer of Hebrews wants you and I to grasp, is that we are called to have our ideas of who God is upgraded to conform to this man, Jesus. Sojourners Magazine uh, had an article a couple of years ago about a company that sells a cuddly Jesus doll. He's cute, he's huggable, he's washable. He has fuzzy dreadlocks. I don't know where that idea came from, but he does. He has fuzzy dreadlocks and a soft beard. And the ad says that he will recite actual scripture verses to you in order to introduce children of all ages to the wisdom of the Bible. When you squeeze him, you get sayings like, I love you and I have an exciting plan for your life. Or, you matter, your life matters so much to be. And a whole bunch of other sweet sayings. But here's the thing, not one of the things that he says when you squeeze him come from the Bible. <laughs> Every last one of them is made up by a marketing company. Now here's why I share that story with you. Lots of people have a talking Jesus doll in their lives, but it's not the real one. That's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing us Two, the real God as revealed in Christ. See, here's the thing, church, and we're turning into the home stretch now. The Spirit of God in you is seeking to cultivate your thirst for understanding. And He's seeking to point that thirst to Jesus so that you seek to know Him, to learn about Him, because in doing so, the most powerful influence in your life, what you believe about God, grows. 
Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, and, and in that, he was emphasizing how important this process that I'm talking about is. We need to realize that Jesus is the only one whose opinion ultimately matters about me, about you, about your neighbor, about your nation, about your life. Bill Clem is known as the father of baseball umpires. He was the first one to use arm signals, and he, he umpired for 37 major league seasons, covered 18 World Series. Once, as he crouched behind the plate, calling balls and strikes, a pitch came in, and as soon as it came in, the batter immediately turned and said, that's a ball. And the catcher immediately argued, that's a strike. And pretty soon, those two players are going at each other back and forth until Bill finally held up his hand and said, fellas, it ain't nothing until I call it. That's the kind of authority Jesus is meant to have in my life and in yours. And when we recognize that, when we own that, then we're transformed, then we're set free, then we begin to experience truth and life and relationship with a Father God. That's what the writer of Hebrews wants for his audience. That's what the Spirit of God wants for you and me. Let me ask you as we, as I said, turn into the home stretch here. Has Jesus defined God for you? Or do you have another definition? In allowing Jesus to define God for you, you and I begin to experience the truth. And we begin to experience his fathering. You know, sometimes uh, all of us, our smartphone has to be reset. You probably noticed this. Periodically, it'll give you a little warning that says, hey, be sure to plug in because we're upgrading the operating system. And if you don't do that, if you ignore those upgrades and don't allow them to happen, there will come a time when your, your phone stops working. Well, in the same way, our ideas of who God is need to be upgraded in an ongoing way by who Jesus is. And as that happens, we are set free. That's the first concern of the writer of Hebrews. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired this scripture into the Bible, that you and I would understand and grow into this reality. The Jews that were the original audience, they knew that powerful angels from God had been a huge part of their history, and they had come to believe that nothing could top the miracles those angels had done. And the writer of Hebrews comes to say, as we're going to see in this last little passage, that Jesus, tra Jesus transcends those angels. You know, to put this another way, they thought that their history was more significant than their future. Sometimes you and I fall into the trap of thinking the same way. But in Jesus, we learn that our future is more significant than our past. And we learn, as the writer of Hebrews points, at, points out to us, that those angels were Jesus' angels. They were always pointing to him, the greater revelation that is in him. When God himself comes, it completes and defines what the angels were doing. That's what happened in Christ. That's why uh, verse 6 of chapter 1 of Hebrews, the, the writer says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Jesus is the son of God, greater than the angels. And again, verse 6, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he said, Let's all, let all God's angels worship him. The writer is saying, hey, the angels worship this Jesus. So don't assume that what the angels did was greater than him when they worship him. 
To which of the angels, verse 13, did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet? That was said to Jesus, but not to the angels. So the point is that he is greater than them. And for us, the point is that what we see in Christ is greater than any supernatural miracle we may see in our lifetimes. That's important to grasp. Jesus warned that many people would come and say, hey, we saw and did miracles. And Jesus will say, well, you never knew me. And that warning is implicit in this passage as well. In verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews says, About the Son, God says, Your throne, O God, will last forever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. He doesn't say that to angels. He says that to Jesus. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here right at the outset is that the Jews needed their old ideas about God updated to match Jesus. So do you and me. And that becomes incredibly significant when he ends this thought. And he says in verse 3, for example, when he was emphasizing this truth about the Lord, look at the end of verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Catch this. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. In other words, the real God is a savior. The real God atones for my sin and for your sin. That's what Jesus came to do. And in that, God the Father is most fully and perfectly revealed. You know, earlier we talked about parenting and our ideas of parenting and our, our, our struggle to be good parents and to learn how to be good parents. And, and the truth is that most of us as parents feel a sense of failure about our parenting. We feel that we fell short. We feel that we didn't do as well as we should have. We carry that around inside of us, that, that sense of having fallen short. But God is a savior. He comes to set us free from that guilt, to forgive us for our real failures and to wash away our thinking about our imagined failures. Our ideas about God need to be updated to conform with the grace that is in Jesus. You know, on this Mother's Day, if you look back on your parenting and your heart is full of things you wish you would have said and done better, know this, that God comes to wash away that shame and guilt. God comes to correct the, the, the moments that you misunderstand in your parenting because the truth is, as the Bible teaches, that our kids are not one-to-one -one products of our parenting. They make their own choices. But in Jesus, God comes to wash away that sense of failure and that sense of shame. You see, the real God, and this is why it's important that we recognize Him in Christ, the real God is a Savior. He comes to set us free from our sins. You know, in our small group this week, we got to talking about that great story of the woman who knelt at Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her tears. And we reflected on the fact that we often assume that when that woman came and knelt at Jesus' feet, that she was thanking him for having left her sinful life behind. But that doesn't really line up with the intensity of her weeping. What is far more likely is that she was in the middle of struggling with sin. We don't know what the nature of that sin was, but the suggestion was that it was infidelity. 
And it's entirely possible that in that moment, she had come from being in that sinful relationship, one she wanted out of but couldn't find her way out of. And she was struggling to overcome her sin. And she came to Jesus weeping, feeling that burden, feeling that powerlessness. And it's into that moment that he offers his grace. Because in the end, it's grace that teaches us to overcome sin. You see, that's the nature of the real God. That's what we see in Christ. And this morning, God wants to touch your heart. God wants to touch your spirit on the issue of your parenting, on the issue of your sins. And he wants you to know that he's a savior, that that's his nature, that he comes to set us free, not to those who haven't sinned, but to those who have, to those like you and me that fail. That's the real God, and that's why it is so important that we recognize that Jesus is that revelation. You know, on Mother's Day, some of our sweetest moments are when we see our grown children begin to understand our love for them. On Mother's Day, that's what God seeks for you to discover. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your living word. Jesus become one of us. And Lord, we pray that you would so capture our attention with him that we might begin to know who you are. God, every one of us is passing from this life, going beyond it just as we're passing through this season of, uh, you know, of, uh, of sheltering at home and so forth. We're passing beyond this life. God, help us to recognize that what we will find on the other side is you, the truth about you. And help us, Lord, to receive you as Savior that that moment might be filled with joy. We pray for that. Thank you for your word this morning. We ask your blessing on our celebrations today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us uh, this weekend. I hope that you'll be able to, to make time to come out for our walk, 1230 to 130 Sunday afternoon on the Enumclaw Trail. Wave, smile, fellowship, see one another. Uh, I'll be out there, Ron and I will. We're looking forward to seeing you. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love them, hug your mom today. Happy Mother's Day.